Welcome FCS football fans to the FCS opening drive podcast week 12 preview presented by football game plan and the Connecticut School of Broadcasting another crazy week of FCS football has come and gone and where's the only place you can listen to every conference broken down week to week it's right here on the FCS opening drive podcast David Hassegan here as always with the czar of the playbook Emery Hunt Emery good morning good morning sir how's it going for you on this splendid November morning. A beautiful day to be sure. Happy Veterans Day. Thank you to all the military, uh, U.S. Armed Forces and their families for their service on this day. A beautiful day here in the Northeast. It's going to be chilly tomorrow, so I'm glad we're out here in the studio today so I can stay in the house tomorrow. Let's set the record straight for those out there that are going to be on Facebook heavy. It's Veterans Day, not Memorial Day. Exactly. I don't know how people get this confused. Because people in this country are dumb. (laughs) <laughs> and to everyone and anyone listening in Canada, happy Remembrance Day to you. It is a different holiday in Canada, but the same feelings are persistent. I mean, this man, by the way, to my left, survived a Jets-Giants game last night. He is here in one piece. I don't know how he did it. Actually, a quietly entertaining game. The Jets actually got a win for once, which is shocking in itself. But let's get back and talk about the FCS opening drive because we're two weeks out, folks, from the playoffs. We're two weeks from the selection committee breaking hearts and granting dreams and we still don't have a single ticket punched to the ncaa fcs playoffs as of yet so we'll talk about that we'll talk about all the week 11 games we'll talk about our top 25s which there was going to be there's going to be a shake-up i think this time around we're going to talk some miak madness because quite frankly apparently no one wants to go to the celebration bowl i don't know why um we're going to talk about some playoff party crashers some games of consequence for week number 12 and we're gonna we're gonna predict some headlines here. We're gonna we're gonna try to be uh, looking to our crystal ball and uh, see if we can cook up a little bit of fantasy of what we're gonna be talking about next week. Emery, we talk about upsets. We talk about Miak Madness. Let's start with the game you were at, and you were part of that Miak Madness. You were on the call for Morgan State taking on North Carolina A and T. Now I said this last week half jokingly. Wouldn't it be amazing <laughs> if somehow North Carolina A and T blew this against a team like Morgan State. For the second year in a row, they did. 22-16, Morgan State pulls off the upset of all upsets. You were on the call. What did you see in this game? You know what? It it was... I said this in the beginning of the broadcast, and this was the first drive. A&T got the ball, and they were just going down the field. And I was like, you know, I find it interesting that a team is playing really well but also flat as hell because a <laughs> yeah. was just moving down the field. and But they also had four penalties on that drive, mm-hmm. and they didn't come away with a touchdown. And so you saw Morgan State's defense, to be completely honest, has been their defense since I've been covering Morgan State or doing their games. Their defense has always been ready to win. It's been the offense that has been a problem. Not every part of the offense. The offensive line has been great. We saw this last year with Josh Miles getting drafted by the Arizona Cardinals. They've had a good stable of backs, guys that can get the job done. They have an NFL wide receiver right now in Menashe Bailey. It's been the quarterback position. If their quarterback can just be average, they win way more games. They got great play from DeAndre Harris, the quarterback, who played his best game of his career. 
every throw was where it needed to be on time. He was decisive. He was accurate. He kept the offense on pace. He avoided the big mistake which plagued him. They finally stuck with him throughout a, an entire game. They didn't do that two-quarterback thing where they pull a quarterback and put another guy in. Mm. He played the entire game, played it really well, set them up in position multiple times for scores, and with the defense playing the way it was, they were able to shut out you know, A&T, keep them from winning that ball game. And, and to be completely honest, Khalil Carter, the quarterback for A&T, I thought he saw the field really well. Like he literally was the targets he was throwing to. You say, okay, that's a great read. That's a great read. The problem was he didn't have enough arm strength. You know, it was maybe four passes that could have been four touchdowns. Had he thrown the ball out in front, it would have been touchdowns because the receivers had these defensive backs beat by like a step. One time it was three yards. A guy had a, uh, had three steps on the defensive back, but the ball was underthrown and it either mm-hmm. fell incomplete or nearly got intercepted. And he threw two interceptions in this ballgame. He had he had thrown only one all season, threw two in this ballgame. Again, those underthrown balls really cost him because that was four potential touchdowns, and we see how close this game was. Now, Morgan State will make it interesting because at the end, they were down by uh, nine points. And so A&T had to score two, t- two times to, to win. They get a field goal. They stalled and get a field goal. They have to get the onside kick. Then they get the onside kick. And so now they're at the 50, and it's like you have to keep them out of the end zone because if they get a touchdown, extra point, they win the ball game. And Morgan State's defense stepped up to the table, got the sack, and really put this game out of reach. Incredible stuff. And A&T, that we'll be talking about this again, another game that they let get away. Um, As for myself, I was down at the Jersey Shore this weekend, Monmouth taking on North Alabama, technically still not a in-conference game because North Alabama is still in their transition. Um, I wanted to see what Monmouth would do coming off of, obviously, an incredible upset win over Kennesaw State where they did everything right. They were fired up. The game they were talking about all year, how do you respond to that? And quite frankly, they were fantastic for most of this game. For three quarters, absolutely outstanding from Monmouth. We know what we're going to get from Kenji Bahar. You know what you're going to get from Pete Guerrero. Pete Guerrero actually was slowed down in this game. He only had 92 yards. Um, Monmouth won this game 49-38. It wasn't that close. I was really impressed, though, for the Monmouth defense for three quarters. For three quarters, they were outstanding in this game. They forced three fumbles. They recovered all three of them. Um, They had, I don't know how many tackles for loss, at least seven or eight tackles for loss in this game. They were all over until the fourth quarter. Then they kind of let down a little bit. In fact, they allowed two touchdowns in the last two minute, last minute of the game. Um, touchdown, onside kick, and then, of course, North Alabama scores on a Philly special. Nice. Like, it was absolutely perfect. Um, Monmouth is for real. I think if they take the game seriously next week against Campbell, which they should, um, I don't think they will have a problem with it. But North Alabama's no fluke. North Alabama's no fluke at all. And Cortez Hall... My goodness, what a wide receiver. He is outstanding. He had one play where he had a jump ball, just launched over the defensive back and made a great catch. He had another later in the game where he got both feet down on the sideline on a pass that was a good two yards out of bounds. He still somehow stretched out like Stretch Armstrong and made that play. (laughs) Um, 6'1", 214 junior. Mm -hmm. This is a kid that might be worth watching in the next couple years in terms of somewhere being invited to an all-star game. I think he deserves it, but... Good win for Monmouth, 49-38 in this one. Uh, 
definitely a confidence boost as they go into their game next week with Campbell. Let's talk about some of the other games around the country. Let's start with the matchup of undefeateds, Princeton and Dartmouth at Yankee Stadium. Um, one of three Division One games that featured two undefeated teams uh, this week, including obviously you had uh, Alabama, LSU, and you had uh, Penn State versus Minnesota. This one was as advertised. Uh, Dartmouth's defense did what Dartmouth's defense does. They went 27-10. to 10. We thought the rankings were a little bit skewed with Princeton being number 10 and Dartmouth number 13 in this game, and we turned out to be right. Yeah, they turned the ball over three times. And first of all, Princeton's uniforms were glorious. They were outstanding. They were outstanding. I love how they threw the gray in there yep. with the orange and black. Phenomenal. On the field, that didn't help them much. No. And you know, although they got the touchdown to Graham Adamitis, who I think is a tremendous tight end, he, you know, this is quietly tight end you yep. uh, in the FCS. He's going to be a pro guy. But we saw this last year with the defense of Dartmouth. This offense was averaging 50-plus points a game going into that Dartmouth matchup, and Dartmouth, I think, held them to like 16. I think the score was like 16-9 last year. Yeah, it was like 17-14, something close. It was close. And so this year, without all of that NFL talent on that roster, you know, you kind of saw, like we talked about, Princeton was good, but they wasn't 2018 good. And they ran up against that same Dartmouth defense, and that's what happened. So this was a more this was more about Dartmouth's defense than anything. Let's move into the Missouri Valley now. A matchup of top twelve teams: Illinois State taking on South Dakota State. The Jackrabbits. We all thought, okay, they're probably you know they're gonna they were number four in the committee's top ten rankings that they revealed last week. They're gonna be fine for a seed. It's a little bit shakier ground now, though. Illinois State gets a critical win, 27-18. Now it looks like the Missouri Valley is gonna be a four-team bid. Keeping with the theme of it's all about the defense, impressive output by Illinois State's defense. Yeah, they gave their offense a, a you know a chance to get back on its footing and get into this ball game. Their defense was outstanding in the first half. They really, I thought, kept that Jackrabbits offense under control. The offense finally started to figure it out in the second half, and that's when they got enough points to win. But this was more about the Redbirds' defense, and we talk about it all the time with Brock's back and the Brock's back coach team. O-line play, front seven play, they did both, and that got them the win against South Dakota State. Another upset, and this one might have been the most shocking of all of them. It's it's shocking to get a top 10 team knocked off by an unranked team. It's even more shocking when it's a shutout, and when you add into that that this is in the Southland Conference, where did this come from? Southeastern Louisiana, 34 nothing. Over the one team in the Southland that we thought, okay, this team is solid. They're going to be the automatic bid. You know, they're 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 going to be fine all the way across the board. They knock off Central Arkansas with a shutout and a big shutout. What has gotten into this Jaguars program? Lions. Or, Lions program. Excuse Thank me. You. Too many big cats around here. Yeah, I mean, you're in Louisiana, so Southern True. is like right up the street. Um, I spent all week talking about Braylon Smith and how phenomenal he's been playing. He's on my Peyton watch list. He was added to the watch list. This week, when yep. they released the the 16 additions to the Peyton Award, the F, uh, the Walter Peyton Award, um, and also to uh, the Jerry Rice and Buck Buchanan, and I spent all week talking about Braylon Smith, how well he's playing. He goes out there and throws three interceptions. Mm-hmm. Um, so <laughs> I, I probably jinxed the young man. But shout out to Southeast Louisiana. This was a game that they had to get yeah. because they're minus one game because they didn't play Bethune-Cookman earlier in the year because of the yeah. weather situation. So they needed this game. This was a statement game. This was a game that now will look good on a resume 
Yep. Their defense was phenomenal. Again, it's three straight defensive performances that we're talking about to open the show. Four if you count Morgan State. Um, so I think Southeastern Louisiana firmly thrust themselves back into the at-large conversation. They're very much there now. It's a four-way tie at the top of the Southland now, folks. So just you know, pick it out of a hat at this point. There's no way to separate them. Weber taking on North Dakota. This was going to be a critical game for potential bubble teams in the playoff picture. North Dakota being the only independent that's eligible uh, with three top 25 wins. If they had knocked off Weber this week, they're cemented in the playoff field, in my estimation. They come up just short. The Wildcats survive 30-27. to This was a really good ball game, but North Dakota still proving why they should be one of the top 24 teams in the country. Well, quarterback Nate Ketteringham played his his butt off in this ball game. He helped bring this team back to where they had a lead, but Weber State is just a different animal this year as far as like being able to replenish what they lost last year defensively. We talked about it all year. Their linebacking core was – that was the biggest question mark I had coming into the season. Yep. But they still had you know great play on, on both sides of the ball. There's still some good talent, but I thought their defense kind of took their foot off the gas. And North Dakota, showing that resolve, fought back, got a lead, but Weber State then kicked it back into high gear and got the win. But I think it makes things tougher for North Dakota now because this was one of those games where they had to win uh, because they're teetering on the line of good team but not good enough to get into the playoffs because they're going to be other good teams with a better resume. Now you have to win the last two games, I think, convincingly at this point yeah, to get you into know, the playoffs. It's field. one of those situations where it's you know you hate to say style points, but they're going to have to win with style points. The MEAC didn't uh, hold the market on drama this week. There was some interesting action in the SWAC as well. Another defensive battle in the mid- mid-November air. Grambling knocks off Alcorn 19-16 to in overtime. You've been talking a lot about Alcorn the last couple of weeks, about they've been you know the consistent program in the SWAC. They're the best team in the SWAC. There's no chance they're going to falter this. Now, all of a sudden, they might not even make the SWAC title game. Never mind the celebration ball. And, and what's funny, on the broadcast, the, the uh, Morgan State broadcast, and we were talking about the celebration bowl possibilities, and we were talking about all the crazy possibilities in the MEAC, and I was like, oh, it's going to be Alcorn in the SWAC. No one's beating Alcorn. Obviously, this was before the Grambling game kicked off. Yeah. And this happened. So, And I spent all we talked about Felix Harper, who was also <laughs> added to the, the Peyton Award watch yep. list. And I'm like, man – he goes out there and throws two interceptions. Grambling quietly is on a five-game winning streak. Yeah. So just when we were ready to count out Grambling, they've turned it around and that now have made things completely interesting in the SWAC West. It's not all Southern now, and nope. it's going to make, once again, that Bayou Classic game at the end of the season for all the marbles. But the SWAC East right now is also very much up for grabs with that loss. We'll talk about that later on. Villanova taking on Richmond, a huge game in the CAA. Not a play-in game at this point, but also not an elimination game, really, for either side. Richmond has come on very strong in the middle part of the season. Villanova came to this game and dropped three in a row. They were falling in the rankings. We thought they were maybe solid, one of the two teams that were solid in the CAA with JMU. They finally get a turnaround here. They get a good good win, 35-28, but Richmond is for real, and they have to be taken seriously. Yeah, and Villanova's defense has taken a step back since the tremendous start this year. They've been in a lot of shootouts. Um, Richmond, I thought, needed this game more so than Villanova, but obviously Villanova needs this game as well. Uh, Villanova has an impressive resume. Uh, Richmond, record-wise, is not where you would want them to be. 
Um, it's going to be hard to defend them now. Their conference record is good, but their overall record is is an eyesore. Yeah. So this was a game that they had to win. Villanova was able to fight through. It was. It's funny because earlier in the season, they were playing great on both sides of the ball, but I thought the defense was far ahead of the offense. And now that defense is taking a step back, they're needing their offense to pick up the slack. In the last couple of weeks, we've seen their offense be game and be ready to do so. They got a much-needed win against the Spiders. And I'll tell you what, though. We've known from the CAA for the committee, sometimes a 500 or record or a little bit above, sometimes is enough. So we'll have to see for Richmond. All hail the governors. Austin P. now controls their own destiny. They knocked off UT Martin 38-24. The governors are the only team in the OVC that have never been to the FCS postseason. They are now in first place. They are alone. They have the tiebreakers. Another incredible game from the governors. Man, this is a team that I'm excited to see continue to compete because right now the OVC is still up for grabs. I mean, you talk about Austin P. UT Martin, Southeast Missouri State almost had a sh- you know upset. They had to <laughs> yeah. they had to stave off another <laughs> a potential loss. Tennessee Tech beat the brakes off Jacksonville State. They're done. <laughs> Eastern Kentucky, like we talked about, just gave Southeast Missouri State all they could handle. So when you're looking at Austin P. The foundation is there. Mark Huspit is one of the best coaches in football. We, you know, I, obviously I, I'm a little bit biased because of what he did for my Raging Cajuns, but it's all predicated on him, you know, developing that that offensive line, getting that run game going, and that's what they're doing. Um, so they have a nice one-two combo with their quarterback and running back. They're playing complementary football in the passing game. Defensively, they're still active. Uh, they're still aggressive. They're getting after the QB, and to me, I think they're playing the best defense in the OVC right now their you rush know, defense is outstanding yeah so if you can't if you can make a team one dimensional you know you're already winning half the battle and you're on the other side of the ball you're playing great with great control so you're not only keeping them limited on on defense but you're taking possessions away and taking the air out of the ball on offense so no surprise maybe this is the year they finally punch their ticket and get in watch they'll win the OVC and they'll be like no nah, we're giving it to yeah, CMO you're right yeah yeah. you won the OVC <laughs> but this year for this conference we won't do auto bids <laughs> but also be by the way quietly top 35 in every major offensive category they're so, a very good football team very very quietly but what in the world is in the water in Moon Township Pennsylvania because Robert Mars again to remind you folks they had not won a conference game the last two years They've now won five in a row. They crushed Duquesne 41-21. They caused seven turnovers. <laughs> Robert Morris, out of absolutely nowhere, is right now in the driver's seat. They control their own destiny with one major game left to play in the last two weeks. The Colonials are for real, and Central Connecticut State might want to look over their shoulders. For people that say coaching doesn't matter, coaching matters. Oh, Bernard yeah. Clark has done a fantastic job at Robert Morris. You talk about he, a, a guy in his second season, I believe, second or third season, uh, taking over this program that was uh, essentially a doormat in the NEC for a while. And with the recruiting class, his first year, got it turned around. You start to see them be a little bit more competitive. They start to put, put up some points uh, because they were offensively deficient before he got there. Now, with even more talent infused into that program, and now these guys are starting to believe they can win, they have an NFL prospect in Matthew Gonzalez, a tight end, who has been huge for them. He was a leading receiver this past game, was leading receiver last weekend. So 
you talk about the Colonials program under Bernard Clark and what he has done. You know, this was a guy that played in the NFL. He played at the University of Miami. He knows what it takes to win, and that's what you bring into a program, and you're able to recruit. And we know how Western Pennsylvania is stocked with talent. Hotbed. You know, you talk about the Division II programs that are really good in IUP, uh, Slippery Rock, all up and down the Western PAC uh I'm about to say seaboard, but Western PA <laughs> border, uh, Pitt is pretty good with talent, and um, so he's recruiting. They're developing guys. They're starting to believe they can win. That sets up a huge matchup this week against Central Connecticut State. And we'll try to we'll break that down a little bit when we get to our games of consequence later on. Some other scores: Southern Illinois knocks off Missouri State 37-14. They're still very much in the conversation. Delaware State pulls a shock. They beat the Bethune Cookman 16-13. Lafayette knocks off Holy Cross 23-20. Tennessee Tech over Jacksonville State, as we mentioned, 37-27. Albany still alive, 21-17 over Udell. Central Connecticut State barely gets past St. Francis in overtime, 38-31. Let's get into the game balls. I'm going to start with Christian Wilkerson, the wide receiver from Southeast Missouri State. 10 catches, 254 yards, and two touchdowns in this one. Simo. We'll probably be getting at least one of the two bids out of the OVC at this point. And Christian Wilkerson, we've mentioned him a couple times this year. He's a big reason why. Yeah, and I'm going to go with the passing game as well for my first one. Corey Fields at South Carolina State. <laughs> Normally when we talk about South Carolina State, we're talking about how great their defense is, how dominant they are with the run game. They're yep. able to take the air out of the ball and stuff like that. But Corey Fields went 18-29, 333 yards, seven touchdown passes. <laughs> now, Demontrez Burrow... <laughs> He caught five of those touchdown passes, so he could be on there too. Um, and ESPN did a great job giving those guys a game ball. But the passing at South Carolina State is something that, that I took notice to, and they blew out Howard. Now, Howard is not good at all. Yeah. Uh, they're in Torrey Mall right now with, with you know their coaching situation. But Corey Fields had a day against Howard and a, a great win um, because seeing how the rest of the MEAC played out that, that Saturday. Tell me if you've heard this broken record before. Akil Glass is good at football. Pretty pretty good. The Alabama A&M quarterback, 25 of 40, 410 yards and four touchdowns in a huge win for the Hornets this week. And you talk about another wide receiver that could be in there as well, Abdul Fatai Ibrahim with uh, nine receptions for 203 and two of those scores. Alabama A&M, quietly, <laughs> they're sitting there and they're ready and willing but a great game for both those players yeah the bulldogs are doing a great job uh, and they got a huge win against a, a team that was that's quietly on the rise in jackson state um quarterback position once again the offensive guy darius douglas uh three touchdowns including the game winner in overtime and what i thought was a huge win for head coach archery denson and charleston southern they got a comeback victory against hampton uh, douglas did his thing in overtime when he needed it the most Yolonzo Gilliam Jr., the running back out of UC Davis, gets by next one. 29 carries for 242 and two scores. Quietly, UC Davis is not dead yet either. Big Sky, is it possible for a five-team, five bids out of that league? Right now, it's a maybe at this point. It's not a definite no, which says a lot for what UC Davis has done coming back from what was a really rough middle part of the season. But good job for Yolonzo Gilliam doing a nice job there. I don't know who's worse, you or Craig, with trying to <laughs> Craig Haley, uh, trying to put these 500 teams in the playoffs between North Dakota and now UC Davis. <laughs> you and Craig are the worst. Uh, I'm moving over to the defensive side of the ball now. Nathan Perry, Morgan State. We got a tip that Nathan Perry was going to be back in this ball game because everyone around 
the, that game against A&T just assume because Morgan got blasted last week by Norfolk State that this game was going to be in the 70s. Yeah. And we got a tip <laughs> that said Nathan Perry is back. He's going to be a big a big impact for this defense. Nathan Perry at 6'2", 6'3", 335 pounds, nose tackle, two solo stops, a TFL on an opening drive. He caught an interception, oh. had a sack, and a quarterback hurry. And all of those plays came at critical moments. So he was a game changer for Morgan State's defense. The big nose tackle had an intercept, um, and he caught that football like he was ready to score. Um, but the way his athleticism is set up, he only got three yards. So, you know, he, he was able to be a big impact player. Shout out to Nathan Perry. And my defensive game ball this week goes to Evan Powell from the University of Monmouth. Five tackles, but one and a half tackles for loss. A forced fumble, which he himself recovered, and a sack in their game. He was critical on the defensive side of the ball for an entire Monmouth core that stepped up really well in this game against North Alabama. I'm going to give a dual defensive player of the game to two Grambling State Tigers, uh, two young players, redshirt freshman Xavier Lodge, four tackles, three solo, a half a TFL, and an interception. And Wesley Green, a defensive tackle, um, who was a sophomore, and Xavier Lodge is a defensive back, Wesley Green, sophomore, eight tackles, six solo, three and a half TFLs, two sacks in their 19-16 upset win over Alcorn State, their fifth straight win. Grambling is a team to watch down the stretch in the swag. And, of course, shout-out to the Southeastern Louisiana defense for the shutout. That's always a shutout. Yeah, you always against, get a shutout. Against Central Arkansas. The only week. shutout in the FCS. Let's move into our top 25s. Emery, I'm going to let you lead off here. We had a little bit, you know, a couple upsets in the top five again this week in the top ten. I'm interested to see where your top five now lies. Well, sir, my top five in the uh, – see, you always call on me when I'm not ready. But my top five <laughs> – It's part of the script. The next thing after game balls, what the top 25s? You should know this by now. Let's see. We got this. Okay, we're on the right date this time. <laughs> oh, good. North Dakota State, James Madison, Weber State, Montana, and number five, Furman. We're good through the first four. North Dakota State, JMU, Weber, Montana. South Dakota State still in at number five. I think Illinois State stepped up and had a big game. I think South Dakota State is still a top five team at Where this did you point. drop them from? I dropped them from four. You dropped them one spot after that loss? Because I had Illinois I had Illinois State last week around number nine, so it wasn't as big of an upset gotcha, for me. Gotcha, gotcha. Okay, uh, six through ten, Sacramento State, Northern Iowa quietly just keeps moving on up for me. Dartmouth at eight, Montana State at nine, South Dakota State at ten. We got a lot of agreement in this show. Sacramento State at six, Northern Iowa seven, Illinois State up to number eight, Montana State at nine, Simo for me at number ten still. At eleven, Mama. Team oh is playing, my goodness! Team I, is playing with some. The offense can travel. Yes. And win. I'm not worried about the offense. They are playing some phenomenal football. They got a hell of a lot of confidence now, uh, moving forward. Central Arkansas, they just ran up against a bad, a, a bad game. Yeah. You know, even though it was real bad, they got shut out. Yeah. And this was a team that was in my top five. I was ready to put them four if they got the win. Yeah. Um, so I didn't drop them. I dropped them pretty pretty far, but not too far. I still think this is a very good football team, but they're at 12. Central Connecticut State at 13. I still mm. like what I'm seeing from Central Connecticut State. I, I will have to stress this again for those that will question it. A blocked punt out the back of the end zone away from beating FBS Eastern Michigan and being undefeated in the in the in 2019. 13, I mean 14, we got Wofford, 15, Kennesaw State. My 11 through 15, I still have Towson at number 11. I think they're better than what their record shows. They've had a lot of injuries this year. What's and Towson's I, record? 
getting better. Thank you very much. <laughs> they won this week. Wofford at number 12. Villanova jumps up a little bit after that win to number 13. I think Richmond's better than being unranked. Dartmouth at 14. Furman at number 15 for me. Illinois State at 16. Southeast Missouri State at 17. You're going to like this one. 18. No one's talking about them. You brought them up a couple times. Southern Illinois. They just keep winning. Southern <laughs> Illinois keeps winning. I like how they're playing defense. 19. Southeastern Louisiana. 20. Nichols. My 16 through 20. I still have the Citadel at number 16 for the same reasons that you have Southern Illinois as high as you do. Uh, Central Arkansas, I dropped down to 17 after that loss. FAMU at number 18. Austin P at 19. UC Davis at number 20. Austin P. Wow. Okay. Hey, leaders in the OVC clubhouse right yeah, now. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. All right. 21, Villanova. 22, okay. South Carolina State. Quietly. Quietly. That To me, that's the one MEAC team that, that, shoot, that no you one wants, wants to play. play. <laughs> no. 23, I always will give credit to the team that is, you know, leading their way and playing great football consistent. San Diego at 23. Okay. 24, Yale. Yale's quietly having a good year Quiet. themselves. They only got one loss. They have a big game this week, obviously, against Dartmouth. Um, and Or Princeton, Princeton, I believe. And 25, the Citadel. 25 in with the Citadel. My next five down. Nichols at 21. Southeastern Louisiana at 22. A&T just holds in the top 25 because they were number, I think, number seven for me last week. They go to number 23. Uh, Central Connecticut State. Yeah, only one loss to an FBS opponent, but you still went to overtime with St. Francis. So you don't get to move up anywhere. You drop a spot to number 24, and Southern Illinois in at number 25. And notice I didn't have an, you know, Austin P or UT Martin or anyone. No FAMU, no respect for them either. Well, FAMU didn't play this week. Still and no respect for them. Well, respect, but they're, they're <laughs> ineligible. So I can't, I can't get over that. At, at best, they'll be 25. But I took, I, I thought some teams had better weeks. Now Austin P, I'm I'm a big fan of. They'll they are a top twenty five team in my opinion, but I thought this week with the rankings, some teams you know need to jump. Southeast Missouri State was in there over yeah. Austin P for me from the OVC. All right, that's fair enough. I, I mean, I've got a couple teams on the but outside. Austin P, I, I don't knock you for having. Yeah, Austin no, P absolutely. For, no, know, I understand. I knock you though for Towson, because Tow- you you throw Towson, North Dakota, and UC Davis. <laughs> You and Craig Haley, <laughs> at Craig Haley on Twitter, great For, job with FCS stats. But, yeah, just send the complaints about me. They're, they're, here's the thing, though, with Towson, they're 6-4. and four. They are. They're 6-4 and four in this record. They've got to win over the Citadel, who has, you know, who has had a good season. They've got to win over Maine, who is coming back quietly. Some people are thinking Maine's not dead yet. I, I'm not sure about that one, but they've still got some decent wins on their schedule. They've got... Two easy games left in. That's the question mark is whether or not they make the postseason because they got William and Mary and Elon left. Uh, so that's my question mark. But yeah, I, I still think they're I still think they're in there in the top twenty five teams. Again, a lot of injury problems, a ton of injury problems this year. I think that I like the depth of the. I think the FCS this year is not twenty five teams. I, I do think we're we're at about a good thirty six to thirty nine. Yeah, legitimate you know, quality teams. Absolutely. Playoff quality I'm, teams. At this point, the committee, you know, forget looking at resumes, whatever. Just take a whole bunch of ping pong balls with logos, throw it in one of those giant lottery bins, right. and just pull out whoever's well, going to be the at-large. Well, you just take, large. first of all, take out, yeah, at-large. I was about to say, you take out North Dakota and James Madison. Yeah, they're, they're in. Everybody else you could shake up and, <laughs> and, and pretty much pull out, a, you know, a good 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 team. 
Well, we mentioned FAMU, though, at the end there. Let's talk about the MEAC. Let's talk about some other postseason play, and let's talk about the Celebration Bowl. Because the MEAC will be sending their second-best team to the Celebration Bowl this year. FAMU Quietly. is outstanding. I would love to see them in a bowl game, bowl games, um, against the champions, perhaps, of the Ivy League. I think a FAMU versus Dartmouth game, or FAMU versus Yale game, I would be, sign up for that. Could be very, very interesting. Besides, the Ivy League wants to play a bowl game in Florida, so there you go. There you go. They don't even have to leave. There's a lot of places to play that game in Florida, too. But we mentioned the score lines before. Obviously, Morgan State knocks off A&T, but then Bethune-Cookman loses to Delaware State. So all of a sudden in the MEAG, this is the situation we have now, folks, because it's just bizarre. Because, again, Florida A&M, 6-0 in conference play, 8-1 and overall. They're ineligible. So now you have A&T, Bethune-Cookman, and South Carolina State all at 6-3, and all at 4-2. and And only we've still got one more game where one of those two of those teams are going to play each other coming up. So what in the world is going to happen here? Because amazingly, out of all of this, A&T still is in the driver's seat for this whole thing, <laughs> which is bizarre because they have beaten South Carolina State. That's the biggest thing. But the other thing is South Carolina State has beaten Bethune-Cookman. Correct. And this weekend... A&T and Bethune-Cookman face off against each other. So if A&T wins this week, they've pretty much locked it up. They've got, you know, as long as they don't collapse against NC Central, they've pretty much got it locked up at that point. South Carolina can still win it there, but it would take them winning both games and and A&T losing to Central. But if Bethune-Cookman wins... Just take the sheet, rip it up, throw it into pieces, throw it into the shredder because no one has any clue. Well, here's the thing. <laughs> if Bethune-Cookman wins against A&T... South Carolina State has the tiebreaker. They, has the tie, they have the tiebreaker. But you still have to talk about the Florida Classic between FAMU and Bethune that happens at the end of the season. That's Just the like thing. the Aggie Eagle Classic that happens at the end of the season between A&T and Central. And we've seen this play out before where that game used to determine who was going to the Celebration Bowl or who was going to win the MEAC when when Central was in their heyday. Um, and so you really can't call that game because they're getting great play from their freshman quarterback, uh, Central. So they're playing competitive football. That game could be a toss-up. Yeah. South Carolina State, to me, has the best opportunity. Yeah. Based off what I've seen from A&T and how sluggish they look, undisciplined they looked in that game against Morgan State. You can't allow yourself to let an offense like Morgan State build that no. you know, uh that um uh confidence. Yeah. And that happened. They can't miss on those big plays. Yeah. You know, they have to play up to everybody. And so now we're in a situation where Bethune is in a must win mode. I think Bethune's defense is really good. So they're gonna give AT some problems. How good is Bethune's offense? Yeah. You know, can they are they better than Morgan State? Absolutely. Yep. But can they be better than Morgan State on that day against A and T? Yeah, they that do have a better questions. defense. They have a much better defense. They have they can rush the quarterback. They can also take the ball away. But they also struggle on offense. Bingo. That's the problem with because that's the one thing with Bethune Cookman. They're the one team that looks somewhat weak out of the three because defensively they can stand up with anybody. Right. I could I could see this game with A and T ending, you know, nine seven. Mm-hmm. But offensively, they struggle. That's the one team out of the three that you can say, all right, there's a weakness there. But as you said, Bethune-Cookman has been quietly putting together some good football. They didn't look at, look at last week, 
but quietly they put together some good football. So if you're South Carolina State, you want A&T to do, to do exactly what they did last week. Play sluggish, don't hit the big play. Your defense can be fine, but you're still going to allow more points than you score. Here's where people mess up against A&T, and I saw this against Morgan State. You know, A&T gets credit for their defense being fast and, and being able to make plays, and that's all true. Mm. You know, Mac McCain is one of the best corners in the country. He's going to be a pro prospect next year. Um, they got a ton of speed at the second and third level. Right. The reason why they have a ton of speed at the second and third level, their linebacking core, guys are like 215, 208. You know, mm. uh, Colin Howard in the middle is about 240. So he's the biggest linebacker. So they disguise that you know size with all that speed. So in this era of the passing game, they're, they match up extremely well right? because their linebackers can get out there and cover. If you're able to line up and run the ball, you can beat A&T. Morgan State is built to run the ball. They beat A&T. Who out South Carolina State and Bethune-Cookman is built to run the ball? Is Bethune-Cookman built to run the ball? That's the question you have yeah. to ask. You yeah. know, We saw South Carolina State give A&T a problem. The A&T really had to work hard to come back and win that game. Yeah, and well, consider Bethune-Cookman is 58th in the country in rushing yards, so they have a decent rushing they have a attack. decent rushing attack. But their offensive attack, their passing attack is awful, so they will have to rely on the run. I mean, Morgan State's passing offense was non-existent. Yeah. It was N.A. <laughs> so it was pass awful. It was and N.A. They, and they had, by the way, they have the 105th best rushing offense, Morgan State. And you saw what they were able to do. But the Bears are big up front. You know, when teams True. don't respect you throwing the football, they load up to stop the run. And that explains a lot of those numbers. But so. they played great last week. So I think Florida A&M is still sitting in the catbird seat to play spoiler to Bethune-Cookman. If, they not, if Bethune-Cookman wins this week and then Florida A&M says, if we're not going to the postseason, no one's going to the well, postseason. Well, you saw what happened last year with Florida A&M was staring the Celebration Bowl in the face, and what happened? Lost three in a row. Bethune-Cookman, at the end, got the win. So, South Carolina State, again, out of all these teams, it's the Bulldogs who are just kind of sitting there like, yeah, just y'all do you. It's fine. We're good. <laughs> we're fine with this. Let's move into the playoff brackets, though, Emory, because I, I, I sat down this weekend, and I kind of I tried to sketch out what the playoff field looks like at this point. I got to 20 teams at this point out of the 24 because, for me, it's still very, very wide open. But there's going to be some teams that either somewhat don't deserve it in people's eyes or are going to come in out of nowhere and steal some spots here. So who do you have as some playoff crashers that we should be keeping an eye on with two weeks to go? Because there's a lot to choose from this year between teams like North Dakota, teams like UC Davis are still alive. Villanova, you know, is not guaranteed anymore. They're there. Citadel is there. Who do you have as your as your playoff crashers? Listen, Central Connecticut State is a team that can get into the playoffs and be a problem. Right. That's a team that no one wants to play. But they're not guaranteed anymore. You know the NEC is not getting more than one bid. Right. So they get in. I mean, you talk about a high-flying offense, very good defense, good offensive line. That's a team that could crash the playoffs. Yeah. You know, by how they play. Another team that could essentially crash the playoffs, you talk about one of those teams out the OVC. Shake a bag up, whether it's <laughs> Southeast, Austin P, or UT Martin. I actually feel comfortable with any one of those three teams 
if they get in as an at-large to not only just get in but win a game or two? I could see that for sure. I mean, for me, one of the teams that, you know, turns out playoff crashers could be Kennesaw. True. Because right now, oh, the Big South is a one-team bid. The committee favored Kennesaw very, very highly during into this year. The polls have as well. They're still somehow nationally last week. They were still in the top 15. What if Big S- the Big South steals a bid and sends Kennesaw as well as Monmouth at this point, g- granted if Campbell doesn't win this week, because Campbell can still come in here and just destroy everything in the Big South. If they knock off Monmouth, they've got the tiebreaker, and they're moving into the playoffs at that point. So, you know, question as you will, but Kennesaw could still win the automatic bid. Another team that right now they're on the bubble, I think they're slightly outside of the playoff line, but if they get in, look out, is Albany. I've seen what Undercuffler can do in terms of his passing game. This Albany offense is one that is explosive. They can hit with big plays at any time from anybody. And the defense is right up there with anyone in the CAA right now. If Albany wins out, and I have a feeling they might, because Albany is quietly still second. They're 4-2 and two with a 6-4 and four record. They're still quietly number two in the CAA standings. They've got New Hampshire and Stony Brook. The game this weekend with New Hampshire is critical for both teams. Absolutely massive. If Albany wins this game, I think they're in the playoffs, and I do not want to see the Great Danes lined up across from me in the first round of the postseason. You know who else no one wants to see? The Citadel. That's another no. one. That's another one that can <laughs> no. crash the, the playoff party. The Citadel right now, four-game win streak, impressive resume. FBS went over Georgia Tech. That's the team that if and Asokan is definitely in position to get three teams in. Oh yeah, absolutely. It's a it's, like I said, it's a big question mark now of do they get three in? Does the OVC get three in? How many teams does the Southland get? Because with Illinois State winning. Right now, the Big Sky, the CAA, and the Missouri Valley are all getting four teams in at this point. Sam Houston State is the other one. Yeah. Because what Sam Houston State is bringing to the table this year is defense. Which nobody expects out of a Southland team. Right. Ever. And so, ever. And so, not only can they score, they can also play good defense. So, I think out of the Citadel and Sam Houston State, Central Connecticut State, and any one of those three teams in the OVC, yeah, those are the teams that I think can – can get in, crash the party, and shake up the whole thing yeah. with how they with how they play and how they're playing right now. Well, you mentioned the Citadel, too, because I want to bring in Southern Illinois into this conversation because it's interesting because if you look at look on paper, just generally, they have the same resume. Same record, a win over a top 25 team in the FCS, a win over an FBS program. But now let's look a little deeper into that. Citadel's got a win against Georgia Tech, ACC powerhouse. Granted, not this year. Georgia Tech's having a rough year. Their top 25 win was against a top 10 team in the FCS. But they're coming out of the SOCON, which this year very strong, but doesn't deserve as much, doesn't drive as much respect from the committee. Southern Illinois, win over an FBS program, but it was UMass. Win over a top 25 team, but it was Youngstown and they were like 20, 21. But they're coming out of the Valley. So the question is now, what does the committee value more, the win against an FBS program and your win in the top 10 or the conference you come from? If one of those two teams gets in and the other one doesn't, I think we'll get an answer for that of how the committee sizes those teams up. You, you know, I'm, I'm sitting here steaming and just like, because <laughs> I can't understand now that I'm looking at it and it's staring me in the face, 
how in the hell can you look at UC Davis and make a case for them <laughs> when Eastern Washington is right there ahead of them? Oh, I trust. But see, here's the thing. I think UC Davis is a very good team. I don't think they're making the postseason. But here's the thing. The case is being made for them now by some outlets. They're saying that UC Davis now has an outside shot, and no one's talking about Eastern Washington at all. Nobody is. <laughs> it, it's To say that this season has been bizarre, folks. Shout out to Montana State, too. That's another team that can get in and crash and cause chaos. We know Weaver's good. We know yeah. Sacramento State is good. And we know Montana can play. Montana State, I think no one is talking about them nationally. Well, when Montana State lost two in a row to Sacramento State and North Dakota, a lot of people wrote them off mm-hmm. and said, now they're a bubble team. They've collectively put up 80, 87 points to 21 in their last two games. <laughs> Granted, it's Southern Utah and Northern Colorado. Hey, man, you only play who's on the schedule. They got UC Davis. Kennesaw. <laughs> Except Kennesaw. <laughs> because apparently their schedule doesn't count. But last two games for Montana State are UC Davis away. Your UC Davis Aggies. And Montana. Well, yeah, we know the Brawl of the Wild is going to be a great right. game. That's going to be insane. But imagine what happens if UC Davis knocks off Montana State. They still won't have more than Eastern Washington in conference wins. That's the point you're not <laughs> understanding. Like, oh, no, I, I understand that completely. I'm just saying. Okay, so let's yeah, okay, let's say that happens, right? The, ge- the general media point is UC Davis is not dead. But, no, if even if UC Davis wins, I don't think they're getting in. But no. let's say they beat Montana State. You know that opens the door for what you talked about earlier about a second uh, Big South team or a third SoCon team or two coming out the Southland. So that is a huge game. If they lose to if they lose to Montana, people consider that a rivalry. They that's a good game. That's yeah. a good game. They'll, they, they won't knock them as much. But if they lose to UC Davis and with, with the Citadel <laughs> having their schedule, you know, they have another chance to get an impressive win. Yeah. You know, and so that's a huge game. So I agree with you. Part of Yeah. Part of me says UC Davis will be exposed this week because – you look at their five wins, their best win this year is San Diego. <laughs> Quiet. That's the thing. But their last two games are Montana State and Sacramento State. Like, you learn a does, lot about their offense. How man. does the committee view UC Davis if they finish with seven wins, with wins over two top 25 ranked teams at the right of the end? That's true. With That's five, a good point. With five teams that are subpar to average at best. Right. That's going to be a real question. Let's get into some of the games of consequence. We talked about the Big Sky games, Montana State, UC Davis, but the big one this week out in Big Sky country, Montana hosting Weber. Huge game in terms of seeding because we both of these teams are probably going to be one of the top two of the top eight teams going into the playoffs. But this is a huge decide who gets the higher bid. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. It's a big game. I, I'm shocked that uh, I didn't find out against this. Uh, you know, find out about this Long Island Villanova game on a Friday. <laughs> um, until I already made plans to be out on a scouting trip on Friday, I'll be at I'll be in Huntington, West Virginia, scouting Marshall and La Tech. Uh, I would have gladly played it local and yeah. went to went to Villanova, but you know, yeah, it, it's going to be a big one, big game in the Big South, and this might decide everything. It should decide everything. Monmouth taking on Campbell. Monmouth wins; they've got the bid. They're Big South champions. They're going to the playoffs. If Campbell wins, Kennesaw just knocked off Campbell last week. Campbell shouldn't have lost to North Alabama. <sighs> Even it, though it doesn't count in the conference standings, that loss is huge because Campbell could have made a case for an at-large bid, in my opinion. Just insane. In the CAA, we mentioned UNH versus Albany critical game there. I'm actually going to be at the home of the Dukes, James Madison, hosting Richmond this week. 
JMU, they've pretty much locked up a top two spot, give or take. They, they, they should be fine. Richmond needs to win this ballgame. And if they do, I think they're in. If Richmond wins this game, I think they're in the postseason as maybe that fourth CAA team. I don't know if that's going to drop the Dukes out of the number two seat, though, If they even if they lose this game. So it'll be interesting to see how the JMU Dukes plays The Dukes could it. lose to us this weekend, and I wouldn't move them by the number two. Probably, I thought yeah. you was going to say if, if – if Richmond beats James Madison, then UC Davis. You know, I, was, <laughs> I was wait. I was so waiting for you to say UC Davis. No, you were waiting for my for my flambe take of when Richmond beats. If Richmond beats JMU, Richmond goes above them in the rankings. That's what you were waiting for. You would still put them above them in the rankings. No, I wouldn't. Put them above I think rankings. James Madison can lose on Christmas in a church, and I still would move them <laughs> out of number two. Um, let's move to the MIAC. We mentioned it before. Bethune Cookman, North Carolina A and T. We think it might decide the Celebration Bowl bid. It could decide absolutely nothing with one game left. We have no idea. Uh, two big games in the Valley to talk about. South Dakota State, they've now lost Illinois State. Now they get Northern Iowa. That's going to be a very interesting game to talk about seeding. Either one of these teams loses, the question marks start to happen of where they end up. Because if you're South Dakota State, do you want to be on the same side of the bracket as the Bison? At this point? Or do you want to be on the opposite side and maybe get them in the title game? That's going to be the big question. Well, you want to play them... Whenever you want to be on the same side, I think, because you want that competition. You want you want to be the team to knock out the Bison from getting to Frisco. Um, but don't sleep on Northern Iowa. I know we are a national podcast, yeah. So I don't know what the talk is locally, but I do know they're probably talking a lot about Northern Iowa. But I feel like no one is talking about Northern Iowa. Yeah, they're they're quietly sitting there in the top ten, a very solid team, a very solid team. And the other team the game to watch out for Southern Illinois. They're at Western Illinois, out in Macomb this week. Western is much, much better than what their record shows with only one win. They play very, very tough football. Southern Illinois cannot sleepwalk through this game with the Bison coming up in the last week of the season. They cannot do that in this one. Robert Morris takes on Central Connecticut State. Who would have thought this would be the game that decides everything? Uh, Robert Morris with that tremendous defense. Central Connecticut State has an excellent defense of their own. This is another one that could end 3-2. Uh, so we'll see with that one. But get what you asked for. Get it because you asked for it. If you're Robert Morris, you want a shot, get your shot right here against Central Connecticut State. And if Central Connecticut State wins, look who has another quality win on their schedule. Yeah, quietly. The Patriot League is just wild, by the way. Uh, we got to talk about this one. Holy Cross at Fordham. That's a massive, massive game. But also now bigger is Lafayette taking on Colgate. Lafayette? All of a sudden, with a three and seven record, this is why the Patriot League is the weakest conference. With a three and seven record, Lafayette is in the driver's seat to go and represent the Patriot League in the playoffs. Unbelievable that they beat Holy Cross last week. <laughs> That's not supposed to happen. Why do you do this to us? The East Coast Miac. East, <laughs> East Coast. Miac. Northeast Northeast Miac. <laughs> SoCon, two critical games. Furman, Wofford, huge game that will probably decide the SoCon title. Quietly, Citadel has to travel to Chattanooga. Chattanooga. Very solid team this year. Not great, but solid. It's just Southern UC Davis, isn't it? <laughs> it's a Southern UC. I've got them at number 26 on my list. I do not. Uh, Citadel, though, they have to win out. They got Wofford next week. They cannot look ahead past Chattanooga, though, because they will pay on the road. Southeastern Louisiana, big high. We're tied for the conference lead. We just shut out Central Arkansas. We're on cloud nine. Not so fast. Don't sleep on Abilene Christian. That's their game this week in a huge weekend in the Southland. Again, a four-way tie right now, folks. And we by four-way tie, we mean complete four-way tie. 
Same record in the conference, same record overall, besides Southeast Louisiana having one less game. Absolutely. And, and it pains me to think that Southeast Louisiana, who probably has the best resume, might not make the playoffs because of a hurricane. Yeah. Which is insane. Well, uh, Davidson game of the week, you have Davidson and Stetson. <laughs> I, I, listen, still all in on Davidson's <laughs> offense. Like, Davidson's offense is, has always been must-see TV this year. They play great defense. And we know how fond I am of Coach Scott Abel and that Wildcat program. They have a really good game against Stetson, and I'll be down at Stetson seeing air facilities uh, next month as I go to the FCS Bowl, National Bowl, and I'll be the color analyst on that All-Star game. Uh, guys are starting to accept their invites right now, but Davidson, man. you, you got to fit Davidson into every podcast. As, as Alex Marinoni would say, though, don't sleep on the haters, uh, hatters. Uh, <laughs> and notice I didn't say Duquenzi either. Is right. Duquesne. But one other game to talk about, though, is, and that's in the SWAC, because the SWAC East is up for grabs this week. Quietly. Alcorn has to recover from that loss last week because they got Alabama A&M coming in. And that's where I have my first headline of the week. Bulldogs stun Alcorn. I think A&M's offense is potent. Akeel Glass is one of the best quarterbacks in the FCS this year that no one has talked about. Bulldogs stun Alcorn, and they're going to the SWAC title game. That was a weak headline. I, I thought I'm you. Building, would, I thought I, you were gonna. You would have. I thought you were gonna go. Bulldogs scalp Braves. See, I didn't want to be politically incorrect. <laughs> but well, it's the mascot. So. It, it, it will. It will build as we go. What is your first headline for Week Twelve? Southland Soiree. Because at the same time, a lot of these these crucial games kick off in Texas, and so it can sort some things out. And even though it's not an evening party like the word soiree means, because I just taught you something, it oh, is. I know a, what a soiree is. Come on now. No, you don't. And yes, so, <laughs> what I what I what I envision is that the Southland Conference will start to become a clearer picture by the end of the weekend. My second headline: Great Danes. Plays Wildcats in Cone of Shame. Love I it. I think Albany Love it. pulls off a shock this week. I think UNH has gotten a lot of headlines that Albany has not. Albany, again, still tied for second in the CAA right now. They're, nobody's going to challenge JMU at this point unless Richmond just pulls off an absolute miracle. Great Danes put the Cone of Shame on the Wildcats this week. Southern survives catfight in Mississippi. Hmm. Okay. Have a big game against Jackson State, who's played some really good football. Quietly, Jackson State has been very, very good this year. Been very good this year. I think they found their quarterback in Jalen Jones, who's going to be phenomenal moving forward. He's a Florida transfer. He's been playing some great football. But Southern has to continue to keep pace because Grambling is on a infinity game winning streak right now. Ready for my last one here? Let's go. Welcome to the dance, Mr. Morris. Oh. I believe that Robert Morris will pull off the shock of the century. The Cinderella story will survive. The seven, if, if they had just beaten Duquesne, that would have been impressive enough. The fact that they did it with 41 points and seven turnovers. Central Connecticut State will have problems here. Robert Morris is inspired. The coaching staff is excellent. Robert Morris punches their ticket to the NCAA tournament FCS playoffs. With a win over Central Connecticut You State. forgot to add, you were going like, Robert Morris, coach staff is great. Their defense is excellent. I am high. You <laughs> forgot to add that in there. Like, all right, my last one. I, hey, if I predicted, what, what would you have said to me last week if I said they were going to crush Duquesne by 20 points? I wouldn't have been that shocked. You wouldn't have said that I was have high you, with that. Duquesne has been 
the NEC Princeton this year. They've been good, but not Duquesne level good. Okay. All right. All so right. we'll see how high you are or not. If you're, <laughs> you know, if you're high off gummies or high off life, we'll find out next week with the with the end result. I'll just I'll just pass it over to you for your last uh, for your last headline. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I like that. That uh, good job. <laughs> You start to you start to get it. All right, my last one is Starting a week. To, it's been for three years. <laughs> my last one is a weak one, but it's pretty prevalent. Who's the real Patriot? Talking about the Patriot League, somebody has to step up and take hold of the league. No, <laughs> here's the here's the thing. This is the one conference where the NCAA should come along and say, you know, <laughs> there's some better teams around. It's we, not you. It's me. It's, it's not you. It's us. Right. We're, we're having some issues committing to you right now. I mean, because think about it. Holy Cross had the opportunity <laughs> to be a two-game. Two Holy Cross had this in their hands. It right. Was, it was done. Lafayette, freshman quarterback, and Keegan Shoemaker, they've been better this year. Not great. Shoemaker, Shouldn't be a problem. I am now with you on Keegan Shoemaker. He's, like what I'm seeing. He is an excellent athlete as well as a quarterback. Yeah. He's got good size. He's not afraid of pressure either. No. So... Lafayette back to the dance, but imagine if, watch Colgate come up and somehow. Yo, Colgate has won two straight games, and Colgate <laughs> still has a, ch- a chance. Now, obviously, they'll need a lot of help. Craziness has to happen. Then you got to factor in tiebreakers. But you know, Georgetown still has a chance this week to get their first winning season since 2011, and they're two. They're one and three in conference play. And who do they have next week? Bucknell, who's two and two. Who had Bucknell winning two games this year? I certainly didn't, and one of them is Colgate. The other one's Lehigh. And the sad part is Georgetown still has the best defense in the Patriot League. The Patriot League doesn't make sense, folks. There's a reason why we had them at the bottom of our conference rankings, because no team is ever that good, and when they are good, they're still bad, even though they're good. Um, Absolutely bizarre scheduling. Unbelievable games coming up this week. Emery, you've got a busy schedule this weekend. Where are you going to be? I will be Thursday. I will be at Pittsburgh, North Carolina, doing some scouting on that game Thursday night. Then Friday, head over to Huntington, West Virginia. Marshall at La Tech, doing some more scouting. Saturday, I will be on the broadcast for Morgan State and Virginia University of Lynchburg. So Morgan State has a great chance to finish on a two-game winning streak. You know, uh, you know, finish with three wins on the season, which would be great for uh, Coach Tyrone Wheatley in his first season. Virginia Lynchburg. Uh, coach Bobby Rome is a very good coach, but obviously he's dealing with a, you know, st- not a stacked deck there at, at Virginia University of Lynchburg. Yeah. So it should be a good game. Um, it should be a, a victory for the for the Bears. They still have Howard too at the end of the year, but th- they would just be so Morgan State if after beating A and T they lose to Virginia Lynchburg. I'm just saying that's that's probably what's going to happen here, but should be an entertaining game. I will be down in the Shenandoah Valley. Uh, JMU taking on Richmond. First trip for me to uh, Bridgeforth Stadium. Very excited about that. Huge stadium. If you're ever if you've ever driven down I-81 to Virginia, you've seen it on the on the right side of the road. Absolutely. Um, huge game again for Richmond for them to try to get into the postseason. JMU just looking for more style points to maybe man, eh, no, they're not gonna steal the number one seed. Clinch the number two seed on their way possibly to Frisco. Folks, that'll do it for the Week 12 preview here on the FCS Opening po- Opening Drive podcast. Don't forget, you can listen back to any of our other podcasts, all the way back to the preseason predictions, where you might find that some of us were correct and some of us might have been a little bit high. It depends on the podcast uh, that you or listen to. Or you were to. high on what? I, you know what? 
I'm glad you brought that up because I forgot one thing that you said was like a flambate take. I just got to find it. So I'll have it for you next episode. <laughs> well, I, I do remember one that I had. I said, don't sleep on the southeastern Louisiana. In the that's big, not a, in the that's not a hot take, though. Did you think they were going to make the postseason? When you talk about hot take. Did you think they were going to knock off Central Arkansas with a shutout? <laughs> Come on now. <laughs> Who's high in this room now? Folks, that'll do it. If you want to listen back on this podcast, go to SoundCloud and iTunes. You can listen to them there. Follow us on Twitter at FBallGamePlan and at David underscore Hasagan, where you'll have all the insights and updates from where we will be over the next couple of days and throughout the rest of the football season. Finally, our first tickets to the big dance will be punched this weekend, this Saturday. The question is who? Thanks for listening in. We'll see you next week.